Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Nico Blier Silvestri, co-founder and CEO of Platypus. My big, big, big picture genuinely is to kill bullshit branding, number one. I'm exhausted of looking videos or branding or organization advertising themselves. It's all the time the same. The only thing I can move is the logo, put another logo. There's nothing genuine and honest about the reality of this. That's really something I want to end. It's not helping the organization and it's certainly not helping the candidates or the people outside, right? That's my first thing. The second thing that we really, really want to achieve is for people to find the right organizations for them to work in. And that's the whole idea with Platypus. If I jump on the name right now, Platypus, it's this, you know, amazing animal, very bizarre, but very amazing, that probably shouldn't exist because it's so specific. But yeah. in the right environment, it's the right setup, it's happy, it's thriving, and it exists and it's evolving. That's why for us, we call it platypus because it's all about yeah, yeah, yeah. finding the right environment for the person. Where am I going to be, you know, happy and aligned with the values of the people I'm working with? Where am I going to thrive? This is Nico. He has an extreme, diverse, and robust 15-year career in recruitment working at industry-leading companies including Yahoo, Trustpilot, and Unity. He's been pioneering his own brand of culture-centric recruitment. And through his time as a chief people officer, strategic business advisor, and director of talent, Nico has now channeled his business and recruitment insight into Platypus. His experience has taught him that company culture is at the core of every step of an employee journey, from attraction to management to retention. He believes that culture is democratic, that all employees have an impact on the culture of an organization, bringing their personal values as cultural drivers, and that company culture is not defined by top-down values, but by everyday actions. He believes that every organization is different, and so are people, and that there is no right or wrong, it's only about finding the right place. This became the founding principle of Platypus, which Nico leads as a CEO. It's on a mission to help organizations understand their culture better and make sure that every employee, whether a culture or future, has the opportunity to prosper. And this inspired me. And hence I invited Nico to my podcast. We explore what's broken in the market when it comes to building thriving cultures. We discuss that this is very much a management issue and what difference can be made if technology and people blend in the right way. Nico shares his story about the journey that he's been through in taking Platypus from an initial vision 
to where they are today. He shares the mistakes that he's made and explains how he overcame some big hurdles to get to product market fit and create a solution that makes a significant difference in the eyes of his customers. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, that a critical lever for success is positive conflict. You don't need people to agree with you. And you equally don't need to hear what you've just said, but just in a different voice. Secondly, that you need to remove the ego from leadership. You're not in a leadership position because you're right all the time. You're in a leadership position because you're the best at getting the best out of people. Thirdly, that as a CEO, you want to go so fast and you're so self-sold on your own idea that it's critical to have people that are not you in taking decisions about your product. And fourthly, how to go about making the decision to kill your product and start all over again. Well, hi, Nico. Thank you for making the time today and being a guest on my podcast. No, I'm, I'm very happy to, uh, that you reached out and very happy to have a chat. It's exciting. There's a reason for reaching out, of course. I'm always on the hunt for stories where it's really, where there's something remarkable in my eyes, kind of the companies that use technology and try to blend it with people so that we create total that's more than the sum of its components. As I say, it's uh, like one plus one equals three. And that's what I found in your company. And mm-hmm. a number of things inspired me. One of them is also the name. We'll have a talk about it later on, Platypus. Yeah. But before we go and talk about the company and the journey you've been on since March 2019. A little bit about you. If you would have to describe yourself in two or three words, the characteristics of... Two of or three a- words. That's a challenging one. Two or three words describe myself. Stubborn, passionate, driven. I think driven and stubborn are actually not the same thing. You can be driven, but if you're not stubborn, you might not reach your goals. And you can be stubborn without goal if you're not uh, driven. So I think uh, the two of them go quite well together. I'm very, very passionate as well about uh, yeah. what I do and why we do it. But in general, in life, I'm, I think I'm very... Uh, people use that word often to describe me. Nico is very passionate. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what I've learned already. But well, listeners will kind of a flavor of that during this call. So good. So you started Platypus in 2019 in March. So that was one year before COVID started. Yeah. We, we all didn't know about it then. But yeah. What was it that you saw? What was the problem that you identified that, that was screaming for a solution like yours? So it's a good question. The, the why. So like I've been working in, the, in recruitment and HR for the past 15 years. And I come from more of an enterprise background because I worked at you know Yahoo, Informatica, uh, some big, big places. I actually started with headhunting, then moved in-house in big companies. And then when I moved to Denmark nine years ago, because I don't speak Danish, and uh, I'm kind of ashamed to say I still don't speak Danish, but it's a very hard language. And I'm French, so I speak English. It's already a miracle in itself. Um, so, uh, you know, when I moved here, all the big companies that I was sending my CV to, they were like, yeah, you don't speak Danish, you don't speak Danish. And so, like... I kind of like dived into startups simply because, well, you know, they were not really picky on the language. Usually startups are way more international in their background and their vision of uh, your skills and so on. And I joined when I, December 2012, a small company called Trustpilot at the time when we were 30 people, 30 people in Copenhagen. And I went through the whole 30 to 350 people in two years, super fast growth, opening the offices in in London, New York, Berlin. Then I went to Falcon, similar like growth. And I was head of recruitment at Unity Technology, which is the biggest game engine in the world here in Copenhagen. 
Revolut, chief people officer at Revolut. Then I worked at Picon. So I've, I've seen, you know, fast growing organization, a lot of fast growing organization. And like anyone that has worked in recruitment, I've always experienced the pain of not having data when it comes to culture. The idea of Platypus at the start, the beginning, the inception concept was we need to solve the issue of there's no data in the recruitment. There's no data. Like, you have a, you find a great candidate, bring it to the hiring manager. They go for an interview. The hiring manager comes out and say, perfect candidate, exactly the skills I'm looking for. I'm just not sure it's a cultural match. And you're like, yeah, but based on what? I mean, genuinely based on what? <laughs> is it exactly. is it like you don't see yourself having a beer with that person because that's discrimination? Is it like because the person didn't say 16 times the three beautiful words that you have on the wall in the office that are like your corporate values? Because that's not culture. What is it? And there's nothing, you know, if you start pushing people. And you remember, I said, I'm very stubborn. And if you keep on not giving me a proper answer or a factual answer or data-driven answer, I'm not going to buy it. I'm going to be like, okay, but that's just your opinion. And you know what? Without yeah. data, you're just another person with an opinion. If you cannot prove it to me. So what we wanted to solve is this. We wanted to solve, let's bring data when there's no data. It became way bigger than this because of our vision, methodology, and everything. So today, Platypus is... The only tool on the market, and I don't say this as bullshit branding, I say this because people have been trying to sell shit to me for the past 15 years, and we've done a lot of research of what's on the market, where the only tool that gives you actual data about your company culture, and this core data, you're going to be able to use it for recruitment, retention, and management. So we are, the way I describe it, we are a talent lifecycle tool based on the culture of your organization. That's Platypus. Okay. Now... The points were so recognizable because I've heard the same type of things. And very often there's this gut feel about whether there's a click, yes or no. And I also have seen how cultures can really, really, really work for you and how it also can kill an organization in, mm-hmm. in no time. So it's a, it's a pretty important thing. So what if you, you think about it today, like if you think about it today, if you ask any kind of organization, what's your culture, they're going to tell you, well, you know, we have beautiful corporate values integrity, respect, some kind of, you know, like a beautiful, fancy words and everything. First of all, I always tell a company, like genuinely, if you have to put integrity on your wall, there's probably something wrong in your organization in the first place, because that shouldn't be a corporate values. That should be a baseline. Integrity should yes. not be a value, number one. Number two, as a French person, right? Liberté, égalité, fraternité, they're really beautiful corporate values. Probably not what you're going to experience as culture if you travel to France. You're probably going to experience something different, like, you know, Strike, complaining, wine, cheese, cigarette. I mean, and that's because the culture is not the words you put on the world. The culture is the people and what yeah. they experience and what they live and what's important to them. If we push this idea further, you're not going to experience the same culture in Paris, in Marseille and in Bordeaux. And anyone that has worked in an organization understand that you have subculture in an organization. If you're a big, big international organization, you have a subculture in Paris, in Amsterdam and in London. If you're a smaller organization, maybe everyone is in the same office. You have subculture in your tech department or in marketing department yeah. or in your finance department. It's just the reality of things. Now, not having data on these subcultures makes your life a misery because then you can't really tell me that you're hiring for culture if you don't understand what your culture is, right? So what we believe is that every single person impacts the culture of an organization. Everyone, whatever the level of the person, whatever the tenure of the person, every single person impacts the value of the organization via what is important to them. Our logic is, If you have enough people in your organization that value work-life balance, that either becomes the culture of your organization or you're going to lose people. You need the data. That's the thing. You need the data. We're not here to tell you if you are good or bad culture. 
because this is very subjective. Like you and I could actually thrive in two completely different environments. Something that I find like this is not for me might be great for another person, right? So what we provide is data you don't have today for you to understand better what drives my organization, right? Per location, per department, and how I tailor my management and my communication. Strong point. Yeah, you're right. It's... It's, you can steer it in some way, but it's defined by the individual people and the teams they work in and how they behave. Completely. And they don't, yeah. And it's not based on a big, big mistake that organizations are doing when they're trying to look at culture match. And by the way, I hate that term culture match because you don't match in something that's not static. Like culture is not the glass. Like culture is fluid. It changes all the time it's when what, somebody it's what joins. It's in the glass, yeah. Exactly, right? So you add to a culture. You don't match to a culture. The big frustration I have, it's a lot of people tell us, or oh, I've seen it in multiple organizations. Yeah, we do personality tests. And you know what? That's the biggest lie in the recruitment industry. The personality <laughs> test is not used the right way. It's not used the right way at all. Use a personality test at the end of the process when you've decided to hire a person to better understand how to work together. Yes, Using a personality test early in the process to filter candidates in or out. First of all, again, that's discrimination. And second of all, you can't, you know, take like an average personality of five people and try to match another person into this. That's not how it's built, right? Yeah, so personality true. is who you are. What we're looking at at Platypus is your values. What is important to you today? Personality is how you're going to express your values and not the other way around. I could, yeah. as a very, very loud French person, extrovert person, I could have exactly the same values as a very introverted software developer from Finland. We yeah. could have exactly the same things we care for. How we're going to express this is linked to our personality, right? Number one. Number two, the values that you have today are going to change and evolve. True. What is important to you today, it's probably not going to be the same things that are important in a year's time. I have two lovely kids. They're young, six and four. Before I had my kids, I really, really didn't care about work-life balance at all. It was just career, 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 True. career, True. be promoted and so on. But now this is something that's critical to me. So my values have evolved in terms of like the need to be promoted and career and the actual need to have work-life balance, deciding when can I come to the office yeah. and so on, right? And there's a consequence also, like what are you going to prioritize, mm-hmm. like where to work and with who, et cetera. Yeah. Completely agree. Exactly. So what is the opportunity if you get this right? If, if this, well, the big thinking, the big idea behind your solution is implemented in an organization, what is before and after here? I think what my big, big, big picture genuinely is to kill bullshit branding. Number one, I'm, like we mentioned earlier on with the LinkedIn post, I'm exhausted of looking videos or branding or organization advertising themselves. It's all the time the same. The only thing I can move is the logo, put another logo. There's nothing genuine and honest about the reality of this. That's really something I want to end because it's Let's not helping together. anyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not helping the organization and it's certainly no. not helping the candidates or the people outside, right? That's my first thing. The second thing that we really, really want to achieve is for people to find the right organizations for them to work in. And that's the whole idea with Platypus. If I jump on the name right now, Platypus, it's this you know, amazing animal, very bizarre, but very amazing, that probably shouldn't exist because it's so specific. But yeah. in the right environment, it's the right setup, it's happy, it's thriving, and it exists, and it's evolving. That's why for us, we call it platypus, because it's all about yeah, yeah, yeah. finding the right environment for the person. Where am I going to be you know, happy and aligned with the values of the people I'm working with? Where am I going to thrive? Love the story. Yeah, indeed, it's a very special animal. <laughs> it is, it is. It's like the only mammal that lays eggs. I mean, it's yeah. wow. Yeah, well, it looks like a dog, but maybe it's even a bird. I don't know. 
it is well yeah there's eggs right so there's probably a part yeah. of burden there fascinating story love the mission that you're on and also that you take it from the person perspective that help them find the right organization to us it's you know what you see again when, when you ask people about what's the organization the culture very often what you hear again we're going back to it but it's we have those corporate values now again if we're taking a step back how are those corporate values defined in general it's very autocratic it's top management sure. leadership team with probably an external consultant we sit down maybe we have some interview groups with some of the employees but like you've never heard we ask everyone in the organization it's not how it's done and then we know we define there's obviously some branding marketing what will make us look good on the market and everything and then we come out saying hey those are our values this is what we stand for i'm not saying values are useless i think they're a very important framework of like what do we want to be as an organization right and they are important if they're respected and and done on day to day basis by the company but just because you put words on a world doesn't equate to culture the culture like you said it's the people so our methodology the way we build the system is to ask anonymously which is extremely important because the only way for a person to be 100% genuine about what's important to them is to guarantee anonymity there's a reason why voting is anonymous right so 100% anonymity for every single employee to reflect on what is important to them what do i care for what do i prioritize today in my work environment Is it compensation? Is it inclusivity, diversity? Is it career? Is it leadership? We have 12 yeah. core cultural drivers. The, the, every single employee is built a platypus print, and then we aggregate all this data. We put the data of everyone working in the organization together. Doesn't matter the size, 20 to 6,000, 12,000, 30,000 yeah. people, it doesn't matter, right? Because what we've built as well, yes, culture, everyone has an impact, but not everyone has the same impact. Right. So it's not as simple as one plus one plus one plus one profile. What we've built is an algorithm that's taking into account multiple factors when we aggregate all the data together. We have yeah. culture bearer. The higher you are in the organization, the more impact you have on the culture of the organization. So we're going to weigh your print in the total results, depending on how high you are in the organization. We have culture anchor. The longer you've been in the company, the more impact you have on the culture of the organization. So similarly, yeah. we're going to weigh your print. Then we have a lot of different factors like Are you sitting in a headquarter? As in, are you close to power? Do you have more chance to impact on a day-to-day basis? Lots yeah. of different factors. All the platypus print or the cultural prints or footprint of the employees. And what comes out is a beautiful cultural map of your organization because we can now show you what actually drives the culture of your organization by what is important to your people. Yeah, and that's what you can work with to find people that thrive in such an organization. Yeah. You but can decide based, to based use this facts. data. Exactly. It's based on fact. And you can decide to use this data for recruitment to look at, you know, cultural alignment, somebody that's close to where you are. But maybe actually you want to drive cultural change. We're not saying that you need to do cultural eugenism. Matching is not always the right way. I think it's been proven now that diversity of thoughts and inclusivity is the best thing for organization because True. it creates exactly. So what we've built as well is filters. Maybe you see that your culture is like this but you want to go here. So we build filters to allow you to search for certain type of candidates under certain values so that when you hire them, you bring your culture where you want True. it to go. Exactly, right? Yeah, that's about the growth. Not starting kind of losing yourself in complacency. Exactly. So uh, interesting on the journey. It's like, it's not even long, you know, it's two years and a couple of months. What I'm always I'd, interested in is, yeah. to, is to understand like you build a product. How did you build it in a way That was going. That was going to a give you defensible differentiation, but most importantly, make the biggest impact for your customers. Yeah, I don't think we did it like this. To be honest with you, we failed a lot. What we had the idea, had the idea on the 29th of January 2019. 
That's like the inception moment. Then I talked with my co-founder, Dan, who's English, the day after I talked with him. And he told me like, you know what? It's not completely stupid. We should look at what's on the market and everything. And then we quickly realized there's nothing like this. Genuinely, there's nothing like this. So um, we were both working at Pecan at the time and we both resigned and we started the company on the 27th of February, 2019. So within one month of having the idea, we're like, okay, let's do this. And there was a lot of discussions around, should we do this or not? Because none of us were, uh, you know, like the dream is to be an entrepreneur or whatever. This is not, I was very happy to build companies for people. I mean, that's uh, the whole idea of like being an entrepreneur. And, you know, like I said, I have two young kids and everything. It's maybe not what you expect as being the perfect setup for this. But we've talked, we're lucky enough that through our network, because we've worked in some of the best startups in Copenhagen, we know some, you know, some very good founders. Peter Mulman, the founder of Trustpilot, I had the coffee at my place. We told him what we had in mind and he was like, guys, this is a very good idea. I mean, uh, I can introduce you to some investors if you want to go there. So I don't want to say we were pushed, but we were more like at some point, we, I remember us having a beer in the garden and being like, I mean, we need to do this. If we don't do this, we're going to regret not doing it. I mean, like, let's just do it. We jump. So we started. We were four, the two co-founders and then some tech, obviously, because it's a software, right? And then none of us are uh, developers, right? So we need people that can build yeah. what comes from the idea. And we need people to enrich the idea of, uh, of the product. So in my basement, as you do, on the house here on the island of Amar in Copenhagen, we started with like the four of us um, and building the pre-prototype of uh, the concept, you know, like the algorithm, how it works, what are the values, yeah. uh, are we going for 12 cultural values, 20? I mean, like hard work on the product in itself. And it yeah. was very hard work because it's something that cannot move down the line, right? It's like we needed some strong basis on the methodology and the concept. So very early days, we realized, okay, maybe we have the experience and the background to build something like this, but we need a scientific advisor. We need somebody that has studied culture, company culture and everything. So we had yeah. the core of our idea. Then we did a lot of research, Schneider and Denison, two very smart sociologists that have written books on company culture, were very much inspired by their work, their framework. And then we yep. took a scientific advisor, Dr. Florence Vilsesh, who's a PhD teacher here at Copenhagen University, and she teaches on inclusivity and company culture. And she's the one that's really helped us on methodology, white papers, and so on. Um, and then the first layer we've built was in PHP, which is disgusting. But you know, it was just to do a pre-prototype to show investors that's kind of like what we wanted to build. In July, yep. the same year, July 19, we had the first round of investments from uh, some uh, business angels here in Copenhagen and some uh, pre-seed funds here in Copenhagen. We actually have David Elgerson, the founder of Unity, who's uh, an investor, early investor in, uh, in Platypus. And that helped us for two things, basically. Like, number one, hire more people, hire more engineers, because once you have the idea, it needs to go fast, right? You need to very quickly be able to build something and almost more importantly, it allowed us to get out of my basement because, you know, it's not really uh, sustainable to have uh, six, seven, eight people working in a basement. So we moved into the office that we have right now. Then a lot of user testing. We've built it basically out of our, you know, brain idea, but then a lot of user testing and questions with HR professionals and candidates and potential users to build the first iteration. We did yes, that. Typical. Exactly. Within six months, nine months, we have the first very ugly iteration, but it worked. And then we had some companies that were willing to pay for this. So we were like, okay, we're on the good route. That allowed us to do a second round of investment. And then we completely destroyed the first version, the prototype. Oh, really? Because it was completely destroyed. It. We kept the methodology, the concept, but there's nothing that we've built in the first iteration that we've reused because we went from PHP to Golang and actually completely rebuilding the product in itself with all the new features. And then it really became a, a product. The first version was more of a prototype. 
what did the product needed to include in order to stand out to make it something that's data is really, great really right? I mean, um, yeah, exactly data is great the way we provide i mean our methodology to provide the data is already a great thing but if i only give you data and you don't know what to do with the data or you cannot action upon the data then it's kind of useless so that was really the biggest chunk of the work was okay now we have a methodology that allows us to collect data that nobody has what do we do with this data where should be the action point and that's where it became a life cycle because there's the very obvious recruitment side of things so all of the candidates are building a platypus sprint as well we can show you the alignment score we can give you data about the candidates that might be impacting and what will change in your culture if you hire that person so there's a very powerful day-to-day use of the product on the cultural side of things. On the talent management, talent retention, there is showing you the data, but then what we've built on top is filtering and being able to do some reporting. Because having a cultural map of your organization, an helicopter view, cool, it's great. But being able to filter what's my subculture in my Amsterdam tech department compared to my London sales department, where are the gap alignment and everything, that becomes extremely powerful, right? And then you start being, to kind of align it also with individual performance of those teams. Exactly. If I have a department, exactly. If I have a department that's the best performing department in the organization, that's their culture. Do I want to replicate the same culture in the other departments or would, where is it lacking? So it becomes a very, I want to say like internal business intelligence tool. What works in my organization? Why? And we can filter on location, department. We can filter on uh, gender. Finally, you know, companies are always saying like we work on inclusivity and diversity is something that's important to us. And because I'm very sarcastic and French, I tell them, apart from putting like, you know, a rainbow logo on your organization, what do you actually do for inclusivity and diversity? Let's be blunt and honest because you don't have data to work on inclusivity and diversity. So that's a very powerful internal business intelligence tool. And then obviously, because we have the data, and that's not why we wanted to build in the first place, but we have a very, very good opportunity to build a great engagement and satisfaction tool because unlike all the other engagements and satisfaction tools that are all doing it the same way, Pecan, Glint, you know, CultureAmp, they're great tools. They really are. And they've changed the way we look at culture, uh, sorry, like employee engagement. But what they do at scale is ask everyone the same question in an organization to collect, survey, and collect data. What Platypus has the opportunity to do is to actually pinpoint to you what question should I ask to whom? Mm-hmm. If I know that Bob very much cares about work-life balance, but he's very low on something structure, he doesn't really care, why should I bother him and myself collecting data on something that's not important to him? So we can actually zoom in and tell you, yeah. those are the questions that you need to ask to which department, because this is critical to know for you in terms of engagement and satisfaction. Yeah. And that's where you have a lot of actions on the data. This took a long time to build, genuinely. I can understand it took us that. nine months to build internally all the corner cases and everything. The product has been live since uh, November last year. Let me make a small interruption here. Nico just explained in detail how they created defensible differentiation inside their product. Not by taking the easy route and make what others are doing just a bit better, but by taking the difficult and hard route, carefully listening to their customers, connecting the right dots, and doing what's right for their customers to make the biggest impact. And that's in making things specific. And this is a trait remarkable software companies master. They master the art of curiosity. They have a drive to create something valuable and then focus on the essence to create new value possibilities. And you can master these traits as well. And I have various options for you to start. Just go to valueinspiration.com to learn about the masterminds or the work streams to put the fundamental building blocks in place to fast track the growth of your software company. 
And as you're there, don't forget to grab the free Kindle version of my book, The Remarkable Effect, to start sparking new inspirations in the next 30 minutes. Back to the interview. Yeah. And then the first part, of course, is working with better customers and getting the feedback to make it something that they want to go live on. Exactly. Exactly. What? And now, now we've been, uh, because you asked about growth, now we've been uh, onboarding a lot of really, really good organizations. Last queue, we had a great queue. We onboarded Pleo, who just today announced that they've raised $150 million of a CIC, the biggest CIC ever in Denmark. When you have a client like this that is going to basically grow like crazy and don't want to lose their culture and they're using Platypus, you're like, we're doing something good. We have a That's proof right. of we are building something that's completely yeah. different. Yeah, and they use it actually to yeah to facilitate that growth that they need. Mm-hmm. Because it, yeah, that alignment on like where are we going and working all together that to create a bigger impact. That's for culture is super important. So what has been the hardest thing to crack for you to get companies to well to adopt it? When you're somebody that's very stubborn and passionate and driven like myself, I think the hardest part is to realize that not everyone systematically thinks that or is aligned with what you think is right or the way like a culture should be or an organization should be. Being like One of the hardest things was to take a step back on the product. So I'm part of the product committee within Platypus, but I'm not the decision maker when it comes to the product. I want to see myself as a subject matter expert on culture, HR, and everything, but I shouldn't be the one taking the decisions. I think one of the hardest parts for the two uh, co-founders as to, because it's your baby, right? I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. It's like you hire great people. If I'm on top of them all the time, it's not helping me. It's not helping them. So this is really hard, especially because you know what? I'm not on top of my CTO. Louisa, she's amazing. She knows what she's doing. I have no idea about coding. So like, I'm, but product, yes, it's my brainchild. It's Dan's brainchild. So like you have the tendency of being, well, why are we doing this? Why is this button blue? I think it should be green. So very quickly, I've been kicked out of the of the design stuff because apparently I have shit taste when it comes to music and like like um, design and colors and everything. But stepping away from a lot of the decisions that has been really really hard. Then I think the the hardest one to crack and we're still working on this is what is the you want a product that's sticky. You want the users to be on the product on a day to day basis, right? So how do we build a product that has ROI daily? monthly and quarterly and how is this product bringing you data that you can use daily monthly and quarterly so that people keep on going back to it and keep on using platypus and and they see you know massive impact on not only getting the data in the first place and then you're like oh yeah that's cool now i now i build my uh you know my uh, hr okr or culture okr for the next six to 12 months and then i park it and i don't go back to it because that's shit for me right i want people to use my product so it's really about finding those levers of, uh, of stickiness within the product to have the, the best impact for the users. So what did you do there? Is there any, any Again, example? I mean, so the way we thought about it, and that's where it goes, you know, with the talent lifecycle, the recruitment side of things, the moment you're going to hire, the moment you have an open job, you're basically going to be on Platypus on a day-to-day basis because there's candidates coming in all the time and you're going to look at their print and look at the impact. That's the first thing. For us, um, the satisfaction surveys is very much the one that you do on a monthly basis. On a monthly basis, you probably look at the engagements or satisfaction of certain of your employees on some of the cultural drivers. But because we've worked in an organization when we received surveys on a weekly basis, and seriously, survey fatigue is real. We block organizations from asking the same questions on a monthly basis. We're going to tell you, you've already asked those people this. There's literally no point for you to ask again because you didn't have an impact on the results yet. Don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to your people. So weekly, monthly, and then it was a lot of work on the culture comparison, you know, looking at the data and everything. And we found that the best way for organization to look and go back at the culture comparison, because 
your culture is going to change, but it's not overnight. You know, there's some mm. slow process. So we've built evolution, showing you and tracking all the changes that you've seen. So cultural comparison is the polarized picture of where are you right now? Cultural evolution is showing you how you've changed and tracked all those change per location department and cultural drivers and everything. And what we're building on top right now, and that's more like AI machine learning aspect of the tool is with the survey results of your engagement surveys, we can probably predict what's going to be the culture of your organization six months, 12 months down the line when people redo their platypus sprint because we see a correlation between your happiness or dissatisfaction on yeah. some values and how you're going to reprioritize. If you're very much dissatisfied with compensation, compensation is probably going to go higher in something that's important to you when in six months time you rebuild your print. So we can look at giving you an indication of what your culture is going to look like in six, 12 months down the line so you can start working on management and retention and so on. Yeah. Yeah, it's some interesting examples of what stickiness really is all about. It has nothing to do with the user interface. It's about the value that people get from it. Mm -hmm. So product was, you said, live since November last year. What has been, let me see, yeah, what's holding you back right now to create momentum, to grow fast as you aspire to? It's a very, very, very good question. I wish I had the answer. I think, uh, <laughs> I think you know how it is. It sells, right? And I think for us, We've had some sales cycle that have been super short. We do one demo and the person is like, okay, I've never seen this. I want this data. We onboard. And then uh, some that uh, like took a solid three to six months, sometimes, yeah, six months, because you show a first demo, then a second demo. And I think the hardest part really is to find those early adopters, those people that are keen on, let's say it, it's taking a risk because this doesn't exist. You've never seen yeah. something like this. You've never used something like this. So being able to find those early adopters that are like, you know what? Yes, let's do it. And I think for us, that's the biggest challenge because very often, and there's probably some work to be done on the website. Generally, I'm aware of this. Very often people tell us like, okay, but you're just like peak on a culture amp. You're another, uh, you know, survey satisfaction, which means we're probably not great at really explaining what we do and how we do it. But we're still young. I think it's really defining those unique selling points that Platypus is having just with other tools. It's and, so and important. It is yeah. so critical. It is so critical, yes. And especially also because you come from an area where you first of all said that there wasn't anything, since there was nothing in the market, we decided to build it. Tells enough, you know? There's yeah. nothing to compare it with. So exactly. what people do is, is, is to compare it to something that they know. And then what? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, but we have, so actually most of our customers, they are already using Pecan, CultureAmp or, or Glint. They already have an engagement tool. We're not here to redefine another engagement tool because that's been done already. We're not here to build a, an applicant tracking system, an ATS. That's a red ocean. We are sure. the link in between all of this. But uh, yeah. it's, it's about explaining. There's a lot of evangelization because it's a new category. It is, yeah. I've heard that so many times on this podcast. Maybe yeah. also because I'm looking for it. That's what you're <laughs> looking for, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effect. Not sure whether you've seen that, but this is at the end why I'm doing this podcast, you know, to find remarkable examples. And what examples of what we can actually do with technology, give people ideas about where, where to take things. What I'm always interested in is to understand, like, what do you believe is required for a company to create a business that people keep talking about or for, to create a business that people would miss if it was gone? I yeah. Mean, what's your perspective on that? I think... I mean, to me, it's going to sound cliche, but it's really having a positive impact. If you have a positive yeah. impact on people's life, and then you'll have a positive impact on organization. That's as simple as this, because again, 
organization are people. They are. And if you have a positive impact on the people of the organization, they'll keep on talking about you and they will want their organization to use a tool like Platypus because they know that Platypus gives them a voice to have an impact yeah. on the culture of the organization, on the people that are going to be hired and everything. So to me, it's really about, uh, and, and again, like I'm saying this, but maybe it's a bit uh, dreamy. And, you know, as, as kind of like any French person, there's a lot of romantism in, uh, in our idea of uh, like the world and how it should be and everything. I believe it's about if you're driven and, and genuine about the positive impact you want to have for people within an organization or within a, like, a, I don't know, the environment and everything, then your organization will thrive because there's more and more place for this. Like you and I said early on in the, in the talk, I think people are tired of bullshit. They, they want to go back to the core of what is important to them. And I think at our core, we care for, the, for other people's uh, happiness. At our core, human beings, we are social animals that care for the well-being of others. And as long as your organization main goal is to do this, is to push for a better world, whether it's within the organization for environment, food, or then it will thrive and it will push and it will be missed if it's forgotten and dies. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with that. You're preaching to the converted. But <laughs> like, I mean, I also agree with you that it's about how you explain this and how you, how genuine it is. Yes. Because there's too much bullshit around it as well. Yes. People kind of put up the words just to look good. But you can sense it when it's not genuine. And I, I mean, think look that's at where the, the magic sets. Completely. And look at, we're just out of the pride month, June, right? Look at the number of organizations who on the 1st of June put a rainbow flag as a, on their logo, like, hey, we care and everything. 1st of July, everything is gone. And dig deep into this organization. What do you actually do for inclusivity and diversity? True. Or is it just branding because you want a minority group to buy from you? Yeah. And, and, and I don't know if it's uh, politically correct to say during the the discussion we have, but like I'm generally not politically correct, but look at FIFA as a great example for this. They are burning their fan base. They're completely burning their fan base because when they say you can't put the pride flag because it's, you know, it's about uh, FIFA is not political. By doing this, you are becoming political. Sure. It's as simple as this. And I believe organization uh, should be political and should stand for what they believe is the right thing. So you cannot stand for everything, stand for something. Yes. So. I mean, uh, and here we're not saying that you're standing for a, uh, something insane we're only saying that you should stand for everyone to have equal rights this is not a crazy idea <laughs> this is not something no. that's insane it's but yeah true but even there you know it's also in marketing everybody is always saying yeah we are the best solution for any industry of any size like that's bullshit you can't no, no you can't we, you, you can't. don't really want to be and it's, it's by the way it's extremely expensive so yes exactly yeah that's interesting so what have been the biggest learnings kind of launching this getting your customers live yeah, that process. Are there any things that you that stood out that amazed I think you? The, or... the, the big, big learning point is never assume anything. <laughs> never assume anything. If you think, I mean, come on, everyone is going to understand this. No, they won't. So never assume anything. That's the number one thing. We've wasted a lot of time on assumptions. And it's, it's Have you got like any example a, of that? I mean, when we built, you know, the methodology to build the Platypus Sprint and we had the, the exercise of doing this, we assumed that, uh, for instance, we give you a budget of 30 points. We assume that people would be aware of like how many points they've used or where are their points. And they would, no, we have to really just take into account that at their core, because there's so much on the market, like we're in front of this all the time, right? We're in front of this all the time. We actually lost the ability to focus on things because there's so much information coming all the time. So because of this, you just need to build products that are very much Taking the attention on allowing the person to focus on, okay, for the next 13 minutes, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to handle. That's the yeah. stage we're at, right? 
Then another assumption is that when we showed the product, the cultural map of the organization, when we shared the data, my assumption was like, anyone that has worked in HR recruitment will understand this data. But that's because I love data and basically it's my brainchild. So it's a stupid assumption. But, you know, you want to go so fast and you're so self-sold into your own idea that that's why it's so critical to have people that are not you into taking decisions on the product because you have the self-fly of like, this makes sense. Everyone is going to understand this. Let's move on to something else. That's not the case. It is not the case. So iteration, I think the most important thing that has made us successful so far is positive conflict, positive conflict in in the organization here at Platypus. The fact that, you know, it's one thing to say everyone is a voice, but if you have a voice, but you never heard or you never allow people to challenge you on decisions that you make for the organization, positive conflict is the best thing because it's, I don't need people that agree with me. I don't need to hear what I just said in a different voice. What I hear is people... I need people to challenge what I send so that we can get the best okay. conflict, argue about solutions, idea for platypus and align then on the solution. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, we are some kind of like hippie community, a super flat and uh, there's no decision maker. Of course, in every on product, in sales, in operation, there is a decision maker. But it means that this decision maker is not afraid about being challenged, is not afraid about being wrong and is not afraid about admitting It's not my idea that goes on. It's your idea that goes on because it's a better idea. You're not in a management position, in a leadership position, because you're right all the time. You're in a leadership position because you're the best at getting the best out of people. Fantastic. Great point there. So what have you been most proud of achieving so far? I think getting 22 people to work on this. I think, you know, there's something around, there is, I mean, I I can sound like somebody that they, uh, Let's say self-confidence and not arrogant for the sake of not making fun of the French. But uh, I think there is something extremely humbling when you have people that believe in the journey, believe in what you're building, and they're like, I want to work with you because of what you're doing and what you're building. And uh, we're going to do this together. This has been amazing. It has been amazing that uh, we just closed another round of funding. It has been amazing that there's so many employees, there's about 50% of the workforce that invested in platypus put some of their own money because they want to have more ones that's what we give normally we give ones to everyone in the organization but they believed in this so much that they want to be more involved financially within the organization there's so much learning learning that um, you know like they always say it's about hiring the right people yes it is it's 100 about hiring the right people but something i always push back when i talk to investors and i go into talks about company culture and building an organization is that if you don't have the right setup at home If you don't have the right setup in your personal life, you're going to fail. Because the people that you have around you at work, the people that you have around you in your personal life, the people that support you, because being the wife, the partner of an entrepreneur is not an easy job. It's a terrible, terrible, because the timelines, you know, like the stress of the hours, when we're in funding mode, I basically don't have a life anymore. And I basically don't sleep and I'm completely burned out and everything. If I didn't have Shana, my wife, who's amazing at home to be able to support me and accept the fact that this is the journey that, that we're on together as a couple, as a family, you're going to fail. The picture I always say, and that's more for gamers and geeks, is um, at the beginning of uh, the old Zelda video game, when he walks into the cave and the wizard is telling him, like, take this, it's dangerous to go alone. Yes, take a co-founder, don't start a business alone. I don't think it's a good idea. I think it's especially like a SaaS, it's really stressful, and you cannot be alone at home. If you're not in a relationship, I'm not saying you cannot do it, but then have a very strong group of friends or families around you that are going to support you because it is extremely heavy on the psychological wellness. True, exactly.
Wise words. I mean, yeah, my next question was always based on the lessons that you've learned and the tidbits of wisdom. What would you give as advice to other CEOs or aspiring CEOs? But maybe this is the advice already. Yeah, don't go alone. <laughs> exactly. Don't go alone. Fascinating. I agree with the advice. It is something that, and I also like your point around leadership that leadership is not about being right all the time. No, Super you can't. Valuable. Anyone that yeah. tells you like, uh, I'm right all the time, you're like, yeah, just now you just put the point you're not right right now. So it's not possible. So, uh, <laughs> remove the ego of leadership. Remove the True. ego. My yeah. job is for the people around me to do their best. My job is to give them the best situation, the best tools, the best psychological safety so that they can bring their best. I'm not supposed to be the best at anything. I'm supposed to be the best at making them the best. That's, That's it. That's true. Yeah. Wise words to finish with. So what is next? Where do you want to take the company in the next 12 months? If that's even a valid question, because... Yeah, I mean, we course, have a second product. Know? I mean, we're like actually in the background working on the product roadmap for the next 12 months. So we have an idea. We have a second product that we want to launch at a better stage, like a probably early Q4. And the, the second product we want to build on top of Platypus is uh, something that will very much challenge the likes of LinkedIn. We believe LinkedIn is a great tool when you're doing sales. We don't believe LinkedIn is a great tool for you as an individual. When you're doing recruitment and everything, yeah, it's awesome. But uh, is LinkedIn providing you the right data around what is the actual company culture of an organization? Am I going to be happy here? Am I here going there as a minority group in terms of what is important to me? And is that okay? Are they accepting of this or not? LinkedIn doesn't do this. LinkedIn sure. is at scale branding organization. And, and you know, people, I call it personal branding basically like uh, bragging online about how I'm the greatest salesperson and the best marketing person and the best engineer and everything. But it, it's not really helping anyone. And then because we have the data about what is important to organization, what's important to people, we believe that we can build something that might be more uh, human-centric in the way of connecting people and organization based on actually what is important to them. We'll talk about it in the years or two or three years' time. See, uh... Yeah, yeah, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where everybody is talking about, you know, you know what happened to Nokia a couple of years ago? Now see what happened to LinkedIn. <laughs> I mean, LinkedIn cannot fail. I see value in LinkedIn. I just yeah. think there's place for something that's more cultural-centric and human-centric. Fascinating. Worth uh, keeping an eye on. So yeah, where can people go to find out more about the company Platypus and to say hi to you? Yeah, so platypus.io, P-L-A-T-Y-P-U-S dot io that's us and i think i'm very easy to find on linkedin nico blier b-l-i-e-r silvestri s-i-l-v-e-r-s-t-i that's the name of my wife because you know i got married and i was like why should i you know why should you disappear well like we're building a new family so we should just mix the name uh, yeah so blier silvestri but the funny part about linkedin now is that a lot of people believe i'm italian because of my last name so a lot of people are writing to me in italian directly on linkedin because of the ah. silvestri last name in my name happy to connect with uh, anyone uh, on LinkedIn and happy to have a chat about what we're doing. Good. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Nico, for this. Thank you for having me. Passionate, <laughs> driven call. I mean, I must say the energy is infectious. I like the, the, the mission that you're on, uh, but that's why I invited you in the first place. I think there's a lot to learn. There's a lot of, to explore for organizations that really take culture as serious to take the next level. Thanks for that. No, of course. And thank you for having me. It was great. I mean, I guess I get always very uh, excited talking about what we're doing. So it's good. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks. Thank you. And this ends my conversation with Nico. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning in to this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Nico Blier Silvestri, co-founder and CEO of Platypus. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. 
Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book, or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business, when you need it, from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.